Commander Riker will know we have made this analysis. Knowing that we know he is hiding heart porn, he will likely delete all of it. But, knowing that he knows that we know that he knows, he might choose to download more heart porn. The really weird kind, with Obos and Strategeo. <laughs> Welcome to Reengage, where we return to a sci-fi show we all have a strong connection to, Star Trek The Next Generation. We re-engage with the series one episode at a time and reconsider Star Trek from new perspectives. This week, peak performance. Let's see how our cultural bridge officers do. Eric, how you doing? I'm not doing great, Jimmy. Mm. I had a bad personal day but I'm gonna come right through it because I'm surrounded by three of my favorite people in this world. So let's get going, because I am in All peak right. performance mode. Well done, sir. Greg, how you do? I am rocking and rolling and ready to beat the pants off of anybody at Stratagema. <laughs> and Miss Kate, how you do? Uh, I do good. Uh, I do many things well. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, you do. <laughs> All right. This is uh, star date 42923.4. Air date was the week of July 10th, 1989. And to find out what was happening way back then, uh, we turned to Greg. What was happening in the world? I got a whole lot of fun sports things happening this week. It was the week of Wimbledon. Steffi Graf uh, successfully defended her title against Martina Navratilova uh, in... Uh, Say that again. Yeah, that was amazing. Martina was Navratilova. Close. There, there you it go. is. I missed the L. <laughs> I'm going to take an L on that one. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, I loved hearing about so much of the tennis in the back in the day, and I feel like it's just not as big of a deal this time around. I mean, I guess there's the, the, the Williams sisters are just awesome, and then after that, you don't hear about all this tennis stars like you did in the 80s. I was so into tennis in the 80s. Michael Chang was my player. Uh, that, that goes into the 80s, 90s. Um, and uh, Andre Agassi. Like, I, I feel you. Like, I knew the names of so many tennis players. And maybe it's because the field was a little more even. Like, mm. there were many good players always sort of vying. But there was also the bad boy of tennis, you know, McEnroe, with, that made brought tennis to the forefront with his sassy hot mouth exactly what? and 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 the throwing of the racket like i remember all that stuff uh and Steffi bjorn Graf. borg bjorn borg bjorn borg, yes. bjorn borg. <laughs> goran ivanisevich <laughs> shall we continue i feel oh, like the tennis players uh, for our star trek folks that's where they got the name of the borg from clearly clearly the enemy he was so robotic bjorn <laughs> that's where they got baby Bjorns from too. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly it. Uh, that and Abba. Um, so, and then on July 10th, when this was aired, uh, Paula Ivan runs the 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 world record for one mile uh, at this time from a woman was four minutes and 15 seconds, and that is extremely fast. Uh, how fast. was she being chased? <laughs> <laughs> Steffi Graf and uh, Martina Navratilova were behind them. <laughs> Damn, Greg. <laughs> I am a very good pronouncer of things. Uh, yes. On July 11th was the 60th All-Star Game for baseball. The American League won. It was at Anaheim. <laughs> Anaheim Stadium. Anaheim Stadium. <laughs> but I wanted to explicit. Expl oh. <laughs> I wanted to explicitly call it out because of who the MVP was of that All Star Game. Eric, do you have any ideas? Uh, eighty nine. This we're calling Bo Jackson yes, here, are we not? Yes, it was Hell Bo Jackson yeah. from the Kansas City Royals. Oh, what a fantastic magnificent athlete oh what a dude still can't believe he had such success all-star mvp uh but his real you know uh, amazingness was that he was the best in tech mobile uh when you were able to play that on <laughs> i i beg to differ i think the best in tech mobile i mean you, it's one or the other of course but i gotta go with um the nigerian nightmare christian okoye mm. uh 
he couldn't move left or right, but you couldn't tackle him going straight ahead. That's so true. it was less of a less of a player's player and more of a bruiser's player uh, that I would more appreciate. Rushing yards were off the chain for him. Uh, and then uh, a little bit more of a downer, though, for this MVP game. President Ronald Reagan was a sportscaster for one of the innings. Uh, he was the, uh, I guess yeah, he was no that. longer the sitting president. Um, but, you know, he really just put a tarnish on the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, that was the worst thing he did. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> and Let's hope Kate can. Uh, oh, do you got another one? No, I was just going to say, I don't know if he remembers uh, <laughs> doing that at the All-Star game either. No, especially since he's dead. Uh, uh, well, let's see if Kate can pick things up here. Uh, Kate, <laughs> what, what was popular on the radio? Well, I'll try. Uh, we missed a week in between in between uh, episodes, so we missed Millie Vanilli with "Baby, Don't Forget My Number." Ba 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 ba, baby. Don't forget my number. Such oh, an amazing. Yeah. Uh, and who would like Millie fucking Vanilli for those who don't remember? Caught in their very own. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Lip syncing. Uh, lip syncing controversy. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. Love you know it. it's bad when Greg knows the word and I don't. <laughs> <Things> are... <laughs> Especially after that performance. When is that? that hasn't come out, right? Like that they were lip syncing their stuff yet. No, right? so no, this is no, still no. At the height of their popularity. This is the height of their popularity. Um, and I just remember lots of uh, very tight bike shorts mm. that they would wear. Um, with big, yeah, jackets, big like wind wind jackets. But the number one song uh, this week is "Good Thing" by Fine Young Cannibals. Love that song. Good thing, where have you oh, gone? Fuck, Apparently, yeah. these last two weeks were good for songs that are mostly um, talk singing. It's a really Rex Harrison week of music. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fine young cannibals because that video, they're riding around on little scooters the entire time. I was always like, what are they doing? (laughs) They're being awesome, post-punk, new wave, fantastic, brilliant singer-songwriters is what they're being. Love those assholes. Even though his voice voice was pretty much like a Muppet, but that was what made it good. Oh, I loved it. Give me that falsetto. Give me all of it. Good thing. The number one movie was Lethal Weapon 2, which mm. now we have to say uh, boo about because there's going to be a five directed by Mel Gibson and guy. we're boo to that. Uh, but I do have a fondness for those old the, movies. The best outgoing credit sequence ever given to Cheer Down by George Harrison for some fucking reason. It is such a good song in a very strange place. <laughs> uh, and Joe Pesci in that is... Uh fantastic truth that's true truth uh on television we missed uh the week before the pilot episode of seinfeld premiering i thought that was worth a note because we've seen this uh season uh these last few episodes a lot of like quintessential 80s shows reach their series finale and here we have right at the end uh, in 1989, you know, what I consider to be one of the quintessential, you know, series of the 90s making its entrance. So it's a really interesting sunrise sunset moment for me. The alpha and the omega. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of sunsets, two deaths of note this week, uh, Mel Blanc oh, and Sir oh, Lawrence Olivier. Man, I'll let you uh, struggle with which one of those is more difficult to to overcome still these many years later. But yeah, Mel Blanc, uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier, both passed that week. My goodness. All right, Kate, thanks for lifting us up and then uh, throwing us right back down into the dumps. (laughs) That's what I do. (laughs) Okay, so on to the creative side of this episode. The director was Robert Shearer. Uh, A lot of credits uh, for this guy. 11 TNG, 1 DS9, and 2 Voyager. Director credits. He's also directed The Danny Kaye Show, 18 episodes of Fame, Matlock, A Happening in Central Park with Barbara Streisand, and I think most importantly, 30 episodes of The Love Boat. Oh, hey now. Wow. Wow. So this guy is strong. The writer is David Kemper. Uh, He had two episodes of TNG, the other one being The Enemy. One episode of The Voyager, which was Time and Again, uh, and lots of other sci-fi credits. Uh, Just to name a few, uh, he did some Sequest, Stargate SG-1, and a bunch of others. But uh, let's see if there's any supporting actors of note. Eric? 
Oh, are there? Oh, are there, Jimmy? <laughs> yes. Let's start off with Mr. Armin Shimmerman, who fit the costume for a Ferengi, so of course was in this episode as the speaking Ferengi. There's also the tactician, who I'm sure many people do not recognize as Mr. David Lander, famously Squiggy from uh, Lenny and Squiggy no in way. the immortal television show Laverne and Shirley. It has to have been that he was an enormous fan of Star Trek and so came on and did something that used exactly zero moments of rehearsal uh, to get, I think, the one line he spoke down. Uh, but my goodness, it's wonderful to see him there. He played Squiggy for 30-some years, showing up again because all of Gen X and much of the boomer generation just had such loving memories of him. You know, so he popped up in Scary Movie and other things as like Principal Squiggy, and then he's on Saturday Night Live every 10 years as Squiggy shows up, you know, that kind of stuff. But he did hundreds of things, uh, tons of voiceover tons of announcing things um he did uh one of the bad guys in the 101 dalmatian tv series he was a doctor on the boat the bold and the beautiful for a season he showed up on pacific blue for a season uh superman the animated series he played the character squeak of course because how do you not uh the guy was everywhere he unfortunately passed away just last year uh we will miss him uh, and continue to remember him every time we see Lenny be the uh, celebrated serious actor that he is now, uh, which is such a fa fascinating thing. Michael McKean, right. you mean? I do mean Michael McKean. Yeah, that was always so bizarre uh, that he was the one that made it out of that uh, to be what he is. But Squiggy, I, did, I had no idea that was him. Yeah, no, that was him. All right, moving from there, we get to Ensign Nagel, who has a couple of fun little one-liners with they're going to fall for it, and they just they she's in this. And you get the feeling like maybe she's going to be a cast member moving forward. And that just, no. she had an interesting career. Uh, she is still, I think, uh, directing and producing documentary films, mm -hmm. which is always a really awesome thing to see uh, actors turn into uh, the creators themselves. She had a bunch of co-stars and guest stars throughout the 90s. Uh, and is, of course, uh, married to John Densmore, the drummer from The Doors. Uh, oh, wow. with whom she has collaborated on things as well. They've been married for 30-some years. Moving on from there, we have some very interesting people to move on from. You see him mostly in the background wearing one of those uh, interchangeable uh, officer shirts from the Enterprise. We have who I first wrote down as Aaron from 24, because I could not remember his freaking name. It is Glenn Morshauer. My goodness, what a career he has had. I see yep. uh, Greg making the making the uh, air uh, metal horns for him. Tell me about your Glenmore Shower fandom. It is, of course, from 24. I just remember watching all of those seasons and uh, loving his character as Aaron Pierce, I think. Yes. Was he was a secret agent. He worked under the president and uh, was a longtime ally of... Uh, Jack Bauer, I think through like seven of the seasons, right? Like he he popped yeah, up. Yeah, he had a good death. Him and Chloe um, were like the one like go to uh, uh, characters for Twenty Four that kind of stayed consistent throughout most of the run. And yeah. uh, I screamed out loud when I saw him on this because I was like, "Oh my God, look, it's uh, Aaron from Twenty Four, just like you did." I, I I will say that it is of course the Secret Service agent, not a secret agent. Um, but other than that, Martina Navratilova. <laughs> yes, uh, his career has been very, very long and very, very strong. He was on Bloodline for a while. He's currently on The Resident. Uh, tons of television, plus some films like uh, the Transformers series. Uh, he was on Supergirl as Sam Lane, who, of course, we know as the villainous father of Lois. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. plays a lot of generals, a lot of kind of uh, captains of industry. So, Glenn Morshauer, we salute you. The Transformers thing, just real quick, yeah. there's a ride in like Universal where you have to go with like the War of the Spark or something like that. It's some Transformers ride. But mm -hmm. they got, you know, they oftentimes get actors to do like little bits in the line, like on the monitors. Glenn Morshauer is front and center, that entire line. Uh, you know, the two hours you're waiting there, you're seeing him give the same, you know, 
minute and a half long monologue about what's going to happen in the plot of this ride. And then <laughs> at first I was like, oh, cool. It's Glenn Morshauer. It's Aaron from, from 24. And then by the end of it, I was like, shut up. Why are you still talking to me? My feet hurt. My kids are bothering me. Just let me go on this goddamn ride. I haven't gotten to ride any of those. So I would like to do that very soon. So let's let's all do that together. All right. So Glenn Morshauer, we've talked. He's fantastic. The last one, and I know Jimmy's a big fan. The last one we're getting to here is Kolrami, who, of course, is played by the immortal Roy Brocksmith. Mm. Jimmy, tell me about how much you love this guy i know you do i love his voice yeah he's built for these types of characters like i I don't even think he altered or tried to affect it he just sounds like a know-it-all and uh, he he was super enjoyable in this and not because i liked him (laughs) he's really fun to watch him chew on scenery like and we'll talk about it when we get into some of the stuff but he is a lot of fun yeah, love the guy. I just, much like I wrote down Aaron from 24, and this one I wrote down Doctor from Arachnophobia, mm. etc. Man has been around forever. And when we get talking about his performance more, I'll talk more about the stuff I like from him. Hudsucker Proxy. Fuck yeah. Oh, so good. All right, that brings us to the Nemesic Files. Uh, two things of note, both of them having to do with Buckaroo Banzai. Mm. Uh, and they're both regarding the Hathaway, which is the ship that uh, Riker will, will take over. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right. Uh, Greg, maybe you can help me out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion System. That is correct is uh, noted as the builder of the Hathaway. And, of course, that's from Buckaroo. And Yo-Yo Dine's motto in this uh, episode where we see on the Hathaway uh, is the same as in the movie. No matter where you go, there There you you are. are. That's so (laughs) cool. So a complete nod to Buckaroo. uh, And not the first one that they made on TNG. All right, without further ado, let's break it down. We start the episode with uh, the Zach Dorn strategist is introduced, but Worf has some doubts. Worf has a couple of funny things in this one again. Mm -hmm. It's becoming a trope for the best one-liners to go to Worf or Data, uh, and or, I should say. What about this introduction of uh, the Zach Dorn strategist, Kolrami? What did you guys think about this? I mean, we know he's a great actor, so maybe we can start talking about it now, Eric. Another name that I didn't know, Roy Brocksmith. But I knew him from so many things, so much comedy, things like, uh, and so much genre. So, like, I go right to White Dwarf. You guys remember that? Mm -hmm. Where uh, he was just fantastic on that. Hudsucker Proxy, we've already talked about. Comedy and sci-fi, like Jimmy said, Seinfeld fucking wonder years fucking ferris bueller Mm. tv series Mm. la law father dowling mysteries that's just so perfect like the pg uh television mystery is right up his thing too he was regular on gary shandling show for about half a season uh, right around this same time Uh, we see him on deep space nine later on playing largely the same character in different makeup you know Ally McBeal was his very last credit right around the time he died, which was just too early. Love the dude. What what are the things that jump out in your guys' heads? Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Go ahead. Well, I want to, I mean, like, like you, I just immediately recognized him for, from everything. But what an amazing yeah. character entrance he makes, yeah. c- including the walk, right? Like we see <laughs> immediately through his characterization like what this dude is going to be like. And I wrote down which came first, the character choice or the makeup, mm-hmm. because I think they're so beautifully intertwined. And I realized that, you know, it, that's sort of who he is, but they did such an amazing job integrating that characterization and those choices into the physicality, both both him, uh, you know, embodying it as well as the the physical makeup of him. I just think it's it's one of my favorite character introductions uh, since Q. It is. It's almost like a clowning type thing where his, if you looked at his face, you could just say, oh, that's a smug face. Immediately, you already know. And then he just layers it on with his performance. 
And we have the Zach Dorian Karami doubting that Riker is up uh, to the challenge of taking on the role as captain of the Hathaway. But Picard sticks by his man, thinks he'll be a worthy opponent. And we got the stage set here for Riker versus Picard. But also, it seemed to me from the very beginning that the stage was set for Riker wooing Karami into liking him. <laughs> it, it was very much, you know, like the... You know, boy meets girl, girl hates boy, boy sing songs to woo girl. It was so strong, the distaste for Riker taking over that. It seemed like, well, this is all about building up Riker, proving to Karami. To me, it seemed like a deliberate writer thing of, we're really going to have him go against him. That way there's a nice big turnaround at the end with, you really are worthwhile. <laughs> totally it's that it's that uh it's interesting because it's the underdog setup right that that classic trope of the person who is dismissed and and but we know Riker right so we know what's coming so it's an interesting like take on that like scrappiness like I'm gonna show you but it's like well we already know what he is going to be shown so there's there is some sort of smug satisfaction as an audience member too to be right. like well Ooh. you're gonna get yours meow, meow, meow. come up in eric <laughs> yeah i mean i i had similar reactions to you jimmy i wasn't really familiar with anything beyond kind of the setup and the image of this character in my memory uh so it was it was just really nice to see both his immediate disdain for Riker and Riker not being sure immediately how to handle it. But anyway, it, it was a really fun entrance. I completely agree. All right. So then we move on to uh, Riker's putting together a team. He recruits uh, Jordy in Worf. I thought it was great that Jordy was ready to go. He already had the bag packed <laughs> for the equipment that he thought he might need uh, before he was even asked. And then Worf has his uh, a funny line where he says, just finished. As, uh, you know, he breaks the model, is frustrated. Riker asks, am I interrupting something? He's like, no, I just finished. And he throws, he throws <laughs> As he it all puts away. it away yeah, into the drawer, which is it's become expected that Worf is going to have a great line. And I, I don't know that they knew it was going to be a funny line. He just makes it funny. And the business, too, where he breaks it. And then he's the whole scene, he's like trying to put them together somehow right. like no is he too strong it's like why is it klingon putting together like a earth boat anyways and like oh, it's i love it i i wrote down immediately that i think it's just classic that the big strong brutes right you know like is doing the most delicate of things right uh and then just michael dorn is a genius he's just we haven't i mean we talk about it but we haven't talked about it like he's just a fucking genius I legit and... think he's the the most underutilized of the entire cast in the years following in Hollywood. Mm. Like he's had a ton of voiceover stuff, but on the on camera things they haven't been willing to really give him the kind of success that he right. earned. And he's a good looking makeup. man. I was too. about to say he is Besides, so fucking handsome. Right. Like Besides he gives me the vapors. A great actor. He's, he's a, a really attractive man too. <laughs> Um, and the, Greg, this is another instance like you were alluding to earlier where Captain Carr is like, we don't need this, but we kind of need this. Uh, um, Worf thinks this is stupid and then talks himself into volunteering <laughs> to be on the team. Yeah. Oh, the best uh, use of reverse psychology, this side yeah. of uh, when I learned what it was in college. <laughs> and ridiculously obvious and fun. Like they both know it and yeah. he still can't resist it. It's great. One more person to join the team. Uh, the person maybe Kate would have went to first. <laughs> Wesley completes uh, Riker's crew. I, I liked Wesley's little smile. Like, I think he was really adorable that Riker kind of called him out to the captain. And then we, get, we the audience, get to see Wesley be really pleased that uh, it, one of the father figures likes him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then uh, Karami accepts Riker's Stratagem challenge very arrogantly, which I thought set it up for, oh, he's going to get beat. But that didn't happen. Uh, okay, and then we have what I called a walk to forget. And this is uh, a Riker walking with Wesley down the hallway. And we think that there's a big setup here with the whole reason that Riker challenge Karami to strategy. I and mean, Riker says, no. Yeah. No, no big plot here. 
Just uh, it's an honor to play. And I wrote down, did anyone buy that? Because right now we haven't seen them play. So I was like, this is definitely not just an honor to play. You got something cooking, Riker. Eric? I I remembered at this point that he was right. I remembered that he lost. Mm. Uh, and, you know, as we do this rewatch, sometimes some of the stuff just kind of comes back to me. And I'm like, oh, right, this is where this happens and this happens. And sometimes I'm wrong and sometimes I'm right. But I kind of really enjoyed that memory watching this scene and going like, sometimes Riker gives some really, really good life advice. Mm. Like, this is so well-rounded and healthy that it was unexpected coming from Riker. I definitely felt like it was, Jimmy, going back to, to what you're saying, the setup of getting him uh getting Riker to be accepted and liked it sets up the kind of leader he is that faces a challenge uh just for the sake of learning from it I don't know I kind of I kind of mm. dug it yeah yeah and I did I'm not suggesting I didn't dig it I just thought it was setting it up for something um didactic like mm. very purposefully uh I'm gonna get information for Karami that's gonna help me win this upcoming battle but i i like where you're coming from with the it actually is more of a character development for us to realize more about riker's character as a leader uh which hadn't occurred to me uh and now i think that's canon and I, canon. I, I think it also is a, is a writerly plot setup thing where like you're going to show this game three times you're going to show it you know once so that you mm. kind of know what it is the second one which we'll get to with data and then like the third one and it kind of is a nice bookending mm. kind of way to keep this yeah, yeah. episode going and by the third one, we clearly follow both the strategy of Stratagem and the gameplay. <laughs> right. We certainly well, know what is on the seventh plateau yeah. or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Says. Let's <laughs> crack into that. So uh, the first I wrote, um, Stratagem design build could have could have used some we love. And I trying to think back what I was thinking when I wrote that is it seemed so 1989. Yeah. Like that's just what they you know, wires were still a part of everything. Like your consoles all were wired. There wasn't any wireless remotes for your game consoles. Like they just couldn't conceive of a game where you weren't physically plugged into it. It reminded me of the, the production designers combined uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and the Wiz, <laughs> the Wizard uh, Power Glove thing from a Nintendo and yeah. kind of combined it into one prop. Right. I always think those little things on the fingers too, they remind me of the automatic milking machines. Yes. <laughs> yes. They totally probably were. Oh my God. <laughs> well, and you know, it, it's so funny because having watched the next episode, Chase of Grey, there was some tech in there in this tech where, again, it might be the product of the time of 1989 where I, I don't know if the designers were even thinking of, well, how is technology or, or not even how is technology moving forward or what is it now? Let's just try to imagine everything being way easier. Mm. Um, and right. sometimes they just fall into this archaic thing of like, you know, put your fingers in it and there's all these wires instead of, well, if we have this screen where we're popping up these graphics, maybe we just have them go with their fingers because it's easier. We don't have to do a prop. And it makes that's kind of more sci-fi by doing less because technology is really kind of always about doing more with less effort or less engagement. Um, and yet too often in these old Star Treks, it's a whole bunch of big machines with needles and, and wires and stuff. Uh, anyways, I got sidetracked. No wires or hangers. None. For <laughs> well, speaking of that, uh, we go over to the Hathaway, uh, the old lady, as Riker calls her. Uh, and there's lots of exposed wires and consoles covered with dust cloths. And again, I was like, uh, are you thinking of like an old English manor <laughs> where you got to keep everything covered? Like, this is an abandoned ship. Where does the why dust do come have, from? Why, yeah, why do you have dust covers and what are you protecting it from? My biggest thing was what possibly could the competition be hinged on? Like, like what are the parameters huh. and how is any of this fair? Right? Like, like it is the most, it's like, we're going to run uh, the Daytona 500, but you get a horse. Right. And we... Well, it's, it's like what Greg was alluding to though. This is sort of a callback to Star Trek in that 
that one exercise that Jim Kirk was famous for cheating mm. and mm-hmm. he beat it because it was made to be impossible. Right. And uh, in this and one, it, this one, it works because Worf knows where they keep the insulation <laughs> and they use the insulation <laughs> right. to burn to, so that the enterprise can smell smoke. And, um, I, I don't know what they're going to so do. So they can buy into yeah. it. Yeah. Fiber optics. Just amazing. I think the set dresser just kept yelling, more wires. <laughs> right. Well, again, this was this set was actually taken from uh, Star Trek Four right. again. Like, they just reused the set from one of the movies again. Right, which makes sense. Just laying around the lot. They could have at least reused the set from Buckaroo Banzai and kept it on, on theme. <laughs> on brand. Cool. Well, I guess the idea, though, is that it's a computer simulation, right? Like, the whole, it doesn't really matter what the ship is capable of. But that gets muddied real quick because then they figure out how to actually make the ship go a little bit, right? And so it's it's very much like a hackery game. Oh, I see what you're saying. I See, I had a different take or a different understanding. I thought they were physically going to move, but they didn't have to like physically fire on each other. They would say they were firing and that was simulation, but they would actually physically maneuver their ships around. Um, and they were purposely on the Hathaway because it was um, it was hampered, and that was part of the challenges. You're you're the last straw. You everything is against you. What do you do? I, I think you're right. I think you're right. But that's where it gets muddied because you're like, if you're why if you were going to simulate it, why not just do it all simulation? Like, why does this have to be in two different ships and and all that stuff like couldn't this just be done on the holodeck using your yeah stratagema things and learn that way right well the holodeck was probably too dangerous because <laughs> like, it would have become real we can't safeguard you in the holodeck but we can in this fake uh, uh old ship is a lot safer it honestly reminds me of that acting school technique where they just scream at you until you cry and then they go go oh god to see <laughs> we're gonna to do this every night they, before you go on right to see what what you do and then they can go see now capture that feeling again they want Riker to find the way to fucking cheat so that they can go oh this is what he does when he's alone behind the lines and blah 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 they're breaking him down to see what comes out and it's just so respectable. Like, it's just the right way to teach. <laughs> um, Every director take note of these uh, yes. wonderful techniques. You get such incredible results. No trauma either from it. Yeah. So then quickly, the next two seeds. Um, I thought it was really cool seeing these dilithium crystals. This was one of the, the instances where I think they did go with less is more. So they just showed us two little two little shards of dilithium crystals in this machine and this powers a whole starship i thought that was kind of fell in line with what i was talking about earlier of uh in the future you're probably going to have something far less that does a lot more um and that seemed very sci-fi this was the first time i kind of really understood how the power system worked on the starship like they always talk about dilithium and the antimatter and matter reaction but at least in this one it started to make sense that like, oh, it's similar to a, a nuclear reactor, but then they need something to counterbalance it. And I don't know. Uh, yeah. It was a little bit of techno babble, but at least I was like, oh, it's being consistent with my previous thoughts of what, how dilithium <laughs> crystals work. <laughs> That's how all the techno babble is for me. Is like, it does it make sense, but it tracks. But it's consistent. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have the first of many maneuvers. This one is the Pulaski maneuver, mm. where she manipulates data into a game of Stratagem. Stratagema. Uh, right? Stratagema. Okay. Oh, okay, great. Mr. Pronunciation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Martina Navratarova. And it's not necessary. I mean, she does sort of maneuver him into it, but he does acquiesce to it. And it's actually from a standpoint of, I see what you're doing and I'm going to, I'm going to help you out. And he, he agrees to do it. And it's like a, to me, I took it as Data's a pretty good friend here. He could have just been like F you lady. Um, Other than ruining the plot line, it was, (laughs) it did make him uh, seem cooler in my eyes. Because Pulaski wants to beat this guy so bad. She is such a, she is so salty about him. 
She says early on in the episode that he needs an attitude adjustment. And she says that with no irony, you guys. <laughs> no, I'm just the bitch no. to do it. Absolutely. It's like they were writing lines for her for the last, like, listen, you're gone. We're just, we're going to make you not be missed. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be that director that, that <laughs> cuts everybody down for an attitude adjustment. Yeah. I think she also says like, what a charmer at one point too. And you're like, Oh, Again, man. no irony in these statements mm-hmm. as she's saying them. Right. Well, and then she says your rep is on the line. And I didn't understand. It's like, yeah, Data's rep is on the line? Like, because one, he doesn't care about that. Yeah. And two, how is his rep on the line when you, like, maneuvered him into doing something he had no interest in, in taking a part of? So uh, I wasn't sure if I was right about who she was talking about. Uh, regarding the rep. Yeah, was it her reputation that she was really referring to? The ship's rep, yo. Oh. The shi- oh, the Enterprise's Enterprise. rep. No, I Do think you? it was literally Data's. I wrote down the same thing. I'm like, we're teaching him the important shit about being human. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then plans start to uh, take shape aboard the Hathaway. I'll list some of these and then just jump in with any thoughts you have. So Worf has a plan to dupe the Enterprise. We get to see Wesley and Jordy from the view of the dilithium crystals. I don't know if you remember this shot, but it goes from the inside the dilithium chamber. And then we see them, which I thought was a really cool shot. And then, uh, wait a minute, Wesley's up to something. You have some shit running on the Enterprise? So Wesley obviously was trying to dupe everybody there about what he has going on. So a lot of uh, little, I mean, at least two plans of deception within this little little scene aboard the Hathaway. I love that Worf, whenever we give him something kind of new to concentrate on, we discover that he has an advanced degree level amount of knowledge about whatever it is they assigned him towards. And we just hadn't learned that yet because we hadn't seen him have that task. Like that dude is an engineer, a tactician, an actual physical combat guy. He's just got a huge amount of specialties. A poet. A poet. He's the best. Worf is the best. A lover. (laughs) Yes. He's good at love, hacking. Love, love, love. He's a hacker too. He can hack yep. the planet. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I also like uh that Wesley really takes a chance here because he's not just duping, the you know uh, Cole Rami and everybody back in the Enterprise, but he doesn't give any clues to uh Jordy or Riker of what what his real plans are here, which I think is a right. kind of bold move. And also, he's cheating. Yeah, he's just <laughs> he's like, like I'm asking for forgiveness later if it comes up. <laughs> yeah. Is it really cheating when you have a cardboard box for a ship? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and that, I don't think that is cheating. I mean, that's the whole, that's Kirk's whole point about the Kobayashi Maru is that it's like they set up the parameters of the game. I'm, you know, they, it's win at all costs. So I'm going to win at all costs. Riker does say you're cheating and then immediately abandons that. <laughs> he, doesn't well, he doesn't abandon it. He just doesn't care. He's like, great. <laughs> it's like, great. Good. Guess we're cheating now. <laughs> I have to point out there's a real artsy shot inside here where there uh, the camera is inside the dilithium crystal chamber uh, uh-huh. and they're like looking inside like a little port. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah. look at you having fun here at the end of the season. Yeah, it was a fun shot. Uh, and But unfortunately, they still had that little rod, plastic rod thing with the blinking lights. Like They, they hadn't updated right. that for their scanner. <laughs> it did remind me of the Tarantino like opening the, the, the trunk. Uh, type of shot, right? Where you you get that weird perspective of the characters working on something. Where do you think he got it from? Right here. He stole from <laughs> so many sources. Can him. <laughs> uh, and this is the scene where we get to see uh, Glenn, Mr. Burke, uh, for the first time. And it was a kind of a weird scene, though, because Wesley is definitely up to something, but <laughs> Glenn kind of looks around. As if he's also up to something. Uh, And I wasn't sure what that acting choice was about there. I think that uh, he's actually a Secret Service agent. (laughs) Secret agent. Secret agent. agent. Oh, right. He is a secret agent. And so (laughs) we can never really know his true uh, motives because we never get to see him accomplish his task in this episode. This felt like he was a little bit being like the teacher who's got to watch the student uh, and doesn't care whatsoever. Yeah. About whatever. Yeah. Whatever kid. Hurry up with your homework. 
you know, like he was trying to chase around the, the like he was looking out for 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 other things he should be doing rather than having to babysit Wesley Crusher. Yeah, it felt like all of the adults Wesley encountered during his very sneaky time <laughs> were kind of performatively initially dismissive and then because they kind of know he's a little smart also then took everything he said absolutely as truth so they, they, he got to play it both ways he did uh he did the um the kid tactic of over explaining what he's doing uh so as not to have any suspicion from the adults it worked <laughs> it worked Look at my impressive command of details. Right. Look at my project. You guys like my project? It's very careful. And if I move it in a weird way, and you're like, shut up, kid. I don't care. Just get move your volcano over there. <laughs> uh, all right. So then we move on to game time. Uh, we don't, uh, that's not the last we see of uh, Mr. Burke because he's actually refing the strategy game. That's why he was so pissed at Wesley. He's like, I gotta get to the game. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm the only certified Stratagem referee on this ship. <laughs> so Data loses this first match, but may have gained some personal insight. And then I wrote, I'm curious how this is resolved. Uh, and I think Greg pointed out aptly earlier that this is one of those in threes. We're going to get three games. They're each going to tell us something a little bit different, set up the plot a little bit differently. Uh, and in this one, it's probably the most important, right? Because it's setting up for data later on. Pulaski screws this way up, right? Where she's like, how can you lose? You are supposed to be infallible. My whole plan to cut this guy down a peg totally backfired. You know I like comeuppance. You just took that away from me. I miss Worf. That's what Pulaski's thinking. I took a... <laughs> I think maybe she put out like a big bet on this. Maybe this is where Pulaski goes. Is her yeah. gambling debts because of this incident. <laughs> She's in hiding the whole <laughs> like, rest of it. Um, from the and Ferengi. As we have established in canon, she's a drunk. She's yes. always yep. in 10 forward. Can't hold a husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Big deal in the 24th century. Yeah, so here's, yeah. A, here's a, going back a little bit to the first match because Worf mentions that he uh, bet on Riker in the pool. And I was like, wait, if you don't have any money, what are you betting with? Is yeah, it, is it I like, mean, it begs the question. Right? Is it duties? Is it like privileges? I, yeah, duties. I gotta clean the. Li- <laughs> I thought you meant duties. <laughs> duties. Oh yeah, that's the currency. Like, why would they be saving? <laughs> they collect their duties for currency. <laughs> that's how they that's their impressively food. lo-fi. Oh, <laughs> the ship cleans itself, you guys. <laughs> Except for the duties. Except for the duties. We learn in discovery that's how they make their food. Oh, good old duty. All right. So then Karami is summoned to the principal's office. So this is, of course, when uh, Karami is summoned by the car to talk about, you know, why are you giving, you know, why are you acting so messed up towards Riker? <laughs> why is Riker acting so messed up towards me? Uh, I mean, so and he stands by his guy, you know, like... There's more to it than what you you think's going on. And Karami, I mean, he has this wonderful way of distracting himself while other people are talking. So as Picard's going off, he like wanders off. He's looking into the fish tank and and checking it out. Which you, I mean, these are really nice choices of describing his character. You know, like in I brought this up before. Eric has heard it a hundred times. Like in acting, they tell you don't act like a king. Let everyone else treat you like a king and that will make you more kingly and he's and Karami's doing the opposite he's he's not engaging with the other characters purposely to show another way of sort of just showing that arrogance and it's it's really lovely to watch even though it's annoying it's from from an acting point of view it's it's a, a master class on how to do this type of character yes the the efficient uh you know efficient uh bureaucrat you know, is is such a a theater trope, and he he plays it so well. I love that his big beef is that Riker is too jovial, uh, mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, and that he's so set in that mindset, Jimmy, like you're saying, that he's not actively listening to the arguments against. Like he's, it's that it's that fixed mindset in action of sort of like 
I don't have to listen to you because I already know. Yeah, right. it's really beautiful. Or then. I can hear one part of it and I can beat your argument. Right. I don't need to listen. It's also the I'm the best in the world at this one thing, so I must know everything. You yeah. know, he's the best at this game. And so he thinks he knows better than everybody about every subject. So this brings up to another scene of doubt. This time it's with Data in his uh, his personal quarters. And uh, he's going through some, uh, you know, he, he doesn't quite know if he's up to par anymore. And again, I really got caught on this stream of consciousness on this episode I wrote. Is Karami up to something? Has he hatched a scheme to show everyone how great they are? Like, I really thought that maybe this was all him. The whole plot, the whole the whole reason for this exercise was to give these people confidence. Like, it, it all seemed like uh, maybe Dune was on my mind with plots within plots. <laughs> like, it couldn't have been just right there on the, the level of the text. I was looking for something really deep here. <laughs> I think it, I mean, it's a writer thing, right? Like where you have this crew who's going to, if the idea around this episode was like, oh, we're going to have the simulation and they're going to be in conflict with each other. And then they're like, well, wait, that goes against the Roddenberry thing of having our, our own crew members be in conflict with each other. So we need a character that they can direct a lot of their conflict at. And then that might've been where, you know, the, this character of Cole Rami came up uh, with. Right. And so in some ways he is, it's the writer's plan to make everybody kind of grow and change based on their interactions with Cole Rami. I think, uh, yeah, I think this is a really <laughs> interesting, what you call it? Um, premise, uh, like the, what they talk about resonated with me. That idea of you can do absolutely nothing wrong. You can do absolutely everything right and still not win. And, and still, you know, and I deal with this a lot as a, as an actor, right? Like mm -hmm. you can go in for a role and do everything absolutely to the best of your ability and to the highest form and still it's not the right thing. And, and challenging yourself to realize that that's not personal. Uh, I don't know. I, it, it, it struck me and I, and it, it, it's an interesting parallel with the broken down ship, right? Like in terms of. They could do everything right on that ship and still not win the day, which is an interesting parallel. Counterpoint. It's personal. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Each time you don't get that audition, yep. it's fuck yep. you. Every time. Don't call me if you got another role coming up. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, I liked also, too, there's another thing of threes here where Troy goes to talk to Data first and then Pulaski goes. And then, you know, it's finally it's Picard kind of uh, conversation that kind of gets him out of it. But I like how Pulaski and Troy are like, well, he doesn't have feelings, but it feels like his, he's acting in such a way that his, his confidence is bruised. And, you know, he's he's having these this, this sense of doubt. And I think I think Troy says, like, well, he doesn't have feelings. And Pulaski, smartly for once, says, like, well, it doesn't matter. The end result is the same. Like, it, even though he may not have emotions and feelings like we do about self-doubt and, and lack of confidence, it doesn't matter because the 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 effect is still the same. And that I, I, that resonated for me, too, because you can be a somewhat self-assured person and have these, um, you know, moments of doubt. Yeah, I I think that the idea of data having so many subroutines that were first written by Nuni and Sung, but also had the ability to write new subroutines to try and uh, account for new experiences. Mm. I think Sung consciously or unconsciously put together a bunch of kind of trap doors in that to have slight problems with the logic circuits and the logic programmings because like the more I watch his work in particular, Brent Spiner's, I start to think that all you know irrational emotions really are just flaws in our own logic uh, subroutines, right? So if that was you know if we need a canon reason in Data's programming, that seems like an easy conscious one for Nunian Sung to have chosen is to slip in some some kind of repeating logic strains that are traps in a way that he then has to write new subroutines to get out of. Anyway, that's, that's what I was thinking watching this. And the contrast between what you were saying earlier about uh, directors or whatever, cutting you down to get to that moment. That's why that technique doesn't work. 
is because you're fucking with that performers or that actors or or even you know employee manager situation you're breaking all those subroutines you're yeah. not creating new ones that will actually be effective going forward and so it's it's doubly flawed yeah you're breaking their shit and making them come up with ways to fix it then we move on to our next scene which uh i wrote just for uh miss kate here Good job cheating, my boy. <laughs> Wesley's a dirty cheat, as I have always expected. <laughs> Kate, what say you? I love this moment because we, we've alluded to it a little bit that that he gets called out very quickly for cheating. And I love that Wesley says, I was improvising. And that is what makes Riker go, oh, yeah, no, fair enough. That's great. That's great. Like, it's a great thinking on your feet moment. It's a great justification moment. It's how I justify all of the terrible things I do in my life. I just say I was improvising and everything is going to be fine. But I love, you know, I love that he is proud of himself. And so are they in that moment, too. Like, Riker's, like legitimately sort of like the yeah my boy well done clever girl uh, the right team yeah clever teen he's like uh uh it's everything is jazz to Riker right it's just it's all improvising on the trombone <laughs> yes and that so that brings us to the um Grantham water hoppers which we all know are the best type of water hoppers <laughs> uh and this is where we get you know sort of an explanation of the crazy stuff they're all about to do. And I have no idea what Jordy says in this scene when he has that long-winded explanation of what they can do. But boy, did it sound fun. I loved it. Wes, you know, don't jump over the railing. You can walk around. Stop trying to flex. <laughs> he learned it from Riker. Um, you know he did. He did. It's a total like, oh, Riker thinks I'm his boy. Now I'm going to start jumping over shit and put my foot up. <laughs> But this was a really fun scene with, uh, you know, my favorite techno babble. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to me as long as it tracks. <laughs> and uh, it did track. Pop the clutch. That was the thing that made the most sense to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. And you're just going to kind of do like a little uh, jump start. Which is good because now we know in the 24th century, there's still stick shifts. <laughs> it's important. Enough. Enough stick shifts that you can use it as a cultural reference aboard a broken down starship. <laughs> and that makes sense now with the new the the new Star Trek, uh, Chris Pine, right? Where he steals right. a car and plays uh, Beastie Boys, which is now classical music. Yeah. You're right. It's in two of the uh, reboot movies, actually. Beastie Boys. They do. They call back sabotage. Motherfuckers. Uh, all right. Um, and then we have the Android hand holding. So this is actually we sort of jumped around. This is this is the part of the show where actually we see Troy and Pulaski come in to try and um, help out uh, data. It doesn't work. So they go to dad. Dad has to come in and uh, give some tough love. And that sort of whips data into shape. And then he, you know, he moves on. Pulaski has a very wharf like line in that scene, too, where. Picard's like, I can't believe we're about to start this game and I have to go uh, babysit an android. And she says something like, ah, the wonders of command. (laughs) I also have to point out that he says to both Troy and Pulaski, don't you think you're overreacting? And I was like, yes, please continue telling the women on the ship that they are overreacting. (laughs) Do some more of that, please. Yeah, and the, you know, great little line that we already brought up that um, uh, Picard has outside of the, you know, a bit of misogyny with uh, your <laughs> he has a nice line to data as he leaves uh, and it's nice nicely played uh, uh, of course by both actors in this scene where Picard comes in and he's a bit annoyed that he has to and we see that he's annoyed and yet um, by the time he leaves there's a bit of softness uh, and encouragement and, and that brings brings data out of it and down to the bridge he says, he says, it is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life. Hmm. I wrote it down for later so I can tattoo it on my arm. <laughs> but it's not true. If you lose, it's your fault. <laughs> We've established that. Come on. I, I'm sure that's what I learned in public school growing up in Kansas. <laughs> I like tattooing that on one arm, Kate, and then on the other arm, that line from uh, Data and Jordy being like, this is another example of how anything we do has no effect whatsoever. 
<laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so uh, Picard, you know, gets him out of his room, uh, and then we move on to the Vincenzi scene, which of course is uh, Data, you know, basically saying, "Clearly, I cannot drink the cup that is set before <laughs> right. me." I just run down. Wait until Data gets started. <laughs> he overanalyzes Riker uh, and how he might respond to the challenge uh and it was a little it was a fun little moment uh and without acting human at all it, he shows us in both of those scenes you know the most humanity uh which is is common now with this actor and this character yeah all right and then we're on to uh so many maneuvers so we uh just have a counter of different maneuvers from both Riker and Picard. Uh, and it's a pretty exciting uh, set of scenes here, going back and forth between what each one will do, all the way into um, the Ferengi cool. actually showing up for uh, an attack. And I thought this was a really fun set of action sequences. I like that it was, uh, I mean, you referenced Princess Bride. This felt like, oh, he's using Bonetti's defense against me. Uh, like it had that kind of, we don't know what these maneuvers are or, or, or how they figure on, but it just felt like they were doing this dance of opening chess moves and things like that, that I, I really enjoyed and how uh, Picard was surprised at, at war for, for setting up this whole illusory Romulan warship and all that. I thought that was really kind of cool. And then the stakes totally change when it's like, fuck Ferengi. Yeah. I think it's super interesting to watch these starship battles in a, medium as thin as outer space and unfull of anything and like you're not held to the same kind of standards you would be underwater say that you're doing these battles the way submarine captains would mm. ship captains would where mm. if you if you maneuver too fast your ship breaks in half and that's not really the case in outer space where you can spin independently as hard as you want and your ship will be fine because there's no friction going through it right. like it's very interesting to me that the timing apparently has zero to do with anything so that you can say hey do this and that person then has to hear you process it do it <laughs> type it in and then it goes and you can somehow outmaneuver the person doing the same five steps <laughs> across from you with lasers it's just fascinating to me that we just accept all that and we do we accept well it. especially in 1989 we do. i think it has <clears throat> it's a really good point because one of the things i love about Ex expanse they have a totally different way of showing space flight and the maneuvering and in fact there's really great shots where it looks like the ship is going backwards Right. Uh, because of the way space travel would happen. And um, it's, again, it's like we were talking about earlier. It was, they were the product of 1989. They mm -hmm. they just couldn't, even though the, the, like, the knowledge was there, like ships don't have to behave this way in space. They didn't even give that credence because like nobody thinks about that. And yeah. now it's such in our psyche about how the behavior that it, it wasn't good enough. They had to up the game and show us a little more realism and how spaceships might behave. I just love the way this yep. is set up for uh, an audience too, to have an experience there. It's so fast, this beginning maneuver after maneuver after maneuver. And we have um, what I'll call, you know, instead of Chekhov's gun, we have Chekhov's maneuver, right? Which is the, there's going to be a pretend ship. So we know at some point that's right. going to happen. It happens. It works. And then we think that we hear the same gun fire again, but it turns out there was a different gun coming the whole time, right? Like that there's, it sets you up for like, oh, they're yeah. doing that maneuver yeah. again because it worked the first time and it happened so fast that I was kind of like, oh shit, it's real. Like it caught me mm -hmm. by surprise too. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it was fun. And we get to see Shimmerman again right. in the scene. And it immediately struck me as like, you can't play anybody but Quark now. Not that you, yeah. not as an actor you can, but you can't put on that makeup and be anybody but Quark. No, like, he's immediately Quark. I saw Quark. It's like you're, it's not adding up. <laughs> you can't play this other character now, um, of, which of course wasn't true then. The Ferengis are like that clone planet. They only have like five basic models. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think? I thought of you, Jimmy, when I watched these Ferengi, because these are very different portrayal of Ferengi than we've seen over these first two seasons. Like this is very much like 
old school Klingons from the original series, right? Where they're like, yeah. we're, we're foils. We don't care about laws. Federation, we're going to take your prize as much as we can. Um, and I actually found it really refreshing to have them be this, I don't know, evil. We're the adversary. Yeah. We're the fucking adversary. And if they had kept this energy, the Ferengi could have been a much better foil with all the yeah. capitalist stuff still going on. But like, I mean, this is like a, a referee giving you an apology call <laughs> after they make a bad a call, call earlier in the game. Yeah. Like this was, hey, we screwed up with these guys. Um, we're going to bring them back as a means of saying we're sorry. These these are the bad guys we meant to do. Because it could have been anybody, right? They could have had a Cardassian in there or a Romulan. It didn't have, there's no reason for it to be a Ferengi. Other than maybe they had Shimmerman on a two episode contract and that they like, oh shit. Gotta bring him back. We, we gotta get him in here. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only prosthetics that were still good and they didn't have to make new ones. They're like, these right. still got two wares left in them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I thought they were way more menacing on this one. And, you know, they were scary and legitimately uh, scary. And then we have a great plan to trick the Ferengi as the, the crew aboard the Hathaway trick the Enterprise. But the, the, the plan is uh, it falls short only because Worf's line is so much better. <laughs> and uh. that is uh, uh, more than unfortunate, we will be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again... Is a fantastic line delivered fantastically. It's so good. It's so good. It calls back to the other line when we were talking about the betting too, where he's like, what happens if I lose? I will be irritated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it turns out he's just kind of irritated for half an hour. Like he, he doesn't like do anything. <laughs> it sounds like so mean and then like half an hour later he's like yeah i'll go help you with your thing no problem yeah he's pretty good. right i just had to work through it not all that irritated and then we're you know nearing the end of this episode and of course we have karami eating crow so he realizes that uh he underestimated uh riker and his crew because he didn't think wesley was a great addition and now he knows that he was wrong on all accounts and then he eats some more crow because we end with data does some busting <laughs> yes i like that before he eats a little crow he flat out is like leave them to die all of them fuck them right. we're out that's right. That's right. <laughs> like that's his strategy is right. leave them because he's a coward, he is a coward. Yeah. and he's emotional about it too like he's like we must do it now like it's the only sound tactical decision and i'm like why this was he trying to just kill Riker this entire time no. <laughs> right. plots within plots <laughs> Uh, I love this final stratagem, though, the 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 duality of these two characters, because Data is so cool as a cucumber and mm -hmm. uh, and he is just sw actively sweating off of his, his prosthetics uh, <laughs> during this scene. It's just really well done. Yeah. The, the bending of the fingers in the thing looks frantic from from Kolrami and Data is just very stoic faced. It's it's a good contrast. I agree. Right. And deciding to stalemate him. Mm. Right. I altered my premise, he says. Which was great. I don't want to, I'm not going to beat him. I'm going to stalemate him. Yeah. Karami storms off. So he doesn't get a graceful exit, which I kind of liked. You know, like they didn't take the tact of everybody learns a lesson in the 24th century and becomes a better person. Like he leaves an asshole. He, he, he leaves as a poor loser. He didn't actually grow. Uh, and that was fun because not everybody does. And that brings us to our final thoughts. Greg, I'll start off with you. What do you think about peak performance? I am going to give this episode, I think I'm going to go with eight and a half plateaus of Stratagema. It is a, a, a really fun episode for me. I enjoy all of the ways that the writer set up progression. Uh, we talked about it a couple times, like it's in threes, like you get the data scenes in threes, you get the games happening in threes. It's just feels like there's you know, the B plot and the A plot are working really well in synergy with each other. You get some great ship combat, which you don't see too often in uh, the TV version of Star Trek. So it felt very epic. It felt like a movie in some ways because of the outmaneuvering. And it's all the parts that I like about uh, you know Star Trek II and all those tactical kind of uh, outmaneuverings uh, that Star Trek has become to, uh, you know, to embody in my mind. And I, you know, 
just found myself super entertained by by all of it. So I I think it's a really a strong piece of this second season. I almost wish this was a send off uh, before we get to the next one uh, with Shades of Grey. All right, eight and a half from Greg. Kate, what do you? I think? love this episode. I'm going to give it nine super secret science experiments. I just think <laughs> it works on all. Like it's got it's got my Wesley in it quite a bit, and he does good things, which I love. But I just love our foil character is so well played and so well done, and is not you know this whole episode we're we're going up against not a big baddie. You know, it's not like. The stakes are not necessarily that the ship is in danger early on, but it's the perception of this one asshole and fuck you. We're going to work together to show you that you're wrong. And I just like, it sort of feels like the culmination of everything we've learned about these characters growing. And we, and we actually learn a little bit more from them and about them. So I'm a fan. All right. Nine from Miss Kate. Eric, what about you? I'm going to give it eight Armin Shimmerman as Braktor um, <laughs> because it feels like a portmanteau of like a, a dude who's an actor named Brad or something <laughs> like, like I am Braktor. Uh, and I love that. So I give it eight of those, even though he's clearly Quark. Uh, it's a terrific episode all the way through. The casting is great. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm just going to keep saying superlative things because I'm a boring conversationalist. <laughs> terrific episode. Had a great time rewatching. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to agree with Kate. I'm going to give it nine uh, finger nipples. So uh, <laughs> not a whole compliment of nipples, but close nine, how many nipples are there usually finger <laughs> nipples i thought this was a lot of fun there were nice stakes without it being you know immediately life-threatening from the beginning uh which i think is is a little bit harder to get to it's a more subtle way of writing drama and uh, we got to know a little bit about a little more about Riker. Uh, we got to see Data chomp on some scenery and grow as an android. Uh, and we got more evidence that uh, Michael Dorn and, and the character of Worf is just a, a true gem. Uh, and a lot of sci-fi stuff. A lot of cool shots, some sci-fi toys. Uh, and this is the sort of stuff I love to see in space dramas. So uh, a nine for me. And even though it's early... I'm about to wet my pants. <laughs> Thanks for joining our Cultural Bridge officers for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We want to hear from you, our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, hailing frequencies are open. Email letsreengage at gmail.com or you can follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek things. But you can follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on the gram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. The music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to re-engage. You know what I didn't even think about was the Riker episode with his dad has a lot of similarity to this one because of the cheating thing too, right? Like his dad was was cheating the whole time trying to beat him in that that like jujitsu th uh, thing. Motherfuckers. And how yeah. Martina Navratilova.